What's going on, guys? Welcome into the Metal Sports Card Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton. Really appreciate you guys joining me on episode six here. If you are watching this on YouTube before we get into it, really appreciate you guys watching, tuning in. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button below. Leave a comment with your suggestions, your reviews, your questions. All of that's really great, really appreciated. If you're listening to this on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Uh, same thing. Uh, those are really supportive of the of the episodes and the podcast and what I'm trying to do. Over on Instagram at medalist underscore sports cards, uh, try to do some daily quicker updates over there on the stories, share breaking news, uh, answer DMs, post pictures, comment on you guys, creating me community over there. Closing in, I think we might have crossed 500 followers by the time this this comes out over on Instagram. I really appreciate all you guys over there. On our way to a thousand, and I'm sure when a thousand comes, I like to do some giveaways. So. We'll probably do a pretty big giveaway when we maybe we hit 750 or a thousand. Um, we'll kind of see how things go and get rolling. For today's episode, we got the usual segment of the hobby rundown to, to kick us off with some breaking news. We've got some upcoming shows I'm actually setting up at local here in Cleveland, Ohio. And then I want to talk to you guys about learning from your mistakes, learning from my mistakes. And a lot of people only talk about the positives, the profits, and I kind of want to bring you guys a twist on that. Bring you guys maybe some of the mistakes I've made that I learned from and do different or just don't do. So let's get into the breaking news today. Uh, Jamal Murray out with an ACL. How does this affect the West? How does it affect the playoff picture? You got the Lakers who are beat up. You got the Jazz who are playing well. The Nuggets were were pretty well clicking on all cylinders with Jokic as obviously as the front runner, probably for the MVP, especially now if they continue to play well. But a lot of people had the. Uh, the Nuggets as potentially a dark horse to make the NBA Finals. So does that stay the same? Uh, does that create a, an opportunity for a team like the Suns? I don't think the Blazers really have it in them. The Jazz, the Lakers, um, the Clippers obviously kind of keep flying under the radar, but do the Clippers become the dark horse of, of the West now? And then when it comes to cards, really how does this affect MPJs? Cards, MPJs over the last week or two have really taken off. One of the I guess I should. I guess I can say this now. One of the preferences that, or the one of the ways that I see if a card is is popular or not, or if a player is popular or not, is Facebook. I love just scrolling Facebook in the evening and seeing who people are buying. Uh, it's been a lot of Donovan Mitchell. It's been a lot of MPJ, and it's been a lot of Trey Young. There's been a lot of Zion buying, but MPJ seems to be on everybody's list now. And so it's interesting now. Obviously, he's been kind of on the rise the last couple of weeks, and now with with Jamal Murray out. MPJ potentially becomes that big score next to Jokic, um, Jokic, I guess as you should say, and uh, Aaron Gordon. So that was my my thing, but I honestly think this potentially strengthens the Jazz chances. Obviously, they have a lot to prove. So I think potentially Donovan Mitchell could be the biggest beneficiary out of this in the card market come playoffs, as his chances now become a little bit, I guess, better going into the playoffs. A little NFL breaking news just broke today, Wednesday. Uh, like I said, I'm recording this on Wednesday, April 14th in the afternoon. The Cleveland Browns signed Jadavion Clowney to line up on the opposite side of Miles Garrett. Browns defense was pretty strong already. Um, really strengthens their team going into the AFC North in the next season. The AFC North is extremely strong with the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, and then a young Bengals team, who was my team, by the way, uh, with Joe Burrow. So just thought that was really interesting. Um, if you are a Baker Mayfield investor, Nick Chubb investor, uh, Odell Beckham, etc., on that team, now they've they've secured a number one overall pick. I believe he was number one overall pick, and uh, somebody who's been pretty dominant in the league um, throughout his career. 
right, let's get into the hobby rundown. We have some heritage auctions this week who are actually ending the day of release of this episode. So unfortunately, obviously can't really go back and circle this as I want to get the episode out tomorrow. But we got the, uh, like I said, heritage auctions versus golden this week. We're talking about the granddaddy of them all. The best of the best dual autos is up for auction. The 2000, 2001 upper deck game jerseys of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Two of the greatest with autos, patches. Uh, it's being up for auction by Heritage. It's estimated by Heritage to go for 300000 It's currently on today, Wednesday. It's, or I think, just under 200000 Um, Let me double check that number. 250000 with with one day left. So I kind of expect that to potentially um, go past that, that 300000 number, potentially. Um, but maybe right around that. What a, what a cool card to see come up for auction. There's only 10 of them. This is one of the high the highest graded uh, BGS. Um, I guess this card of, of BGS graded, this one's the highest grade. So it'll be interesting to kind of see um, what heritage auctions are bringing potentially compared to Golden. They have a couple other big big items up for sale. Um, Jordan Fleer, PSA 10, currently at 240000 as of the recording of this podcast in late afternoon on Wednesday. They have a Derek Jeter SP rookie PSA 10 that's currently sitting at 350,000. Currently the leading um, item up for sale, high most expensive, and actually in second place is a Top Shot LeBron James Series One, number three of 59. That's currently sitting at 323,000. I'm not big on Top Shot. I'm not big on NFTs. Don't understand the tangibility of it. Um, I want to pull out my case of slabs and show everybody when they come over. I just did that when a friend came over a couple hours ago. I don't want to pull out my phone and be like, I own this clip. And it's it's a process to explain. When you have a card, they know you bought it. I don't see spending $323,000 on a, on a LeBron James unless you're in it for the investment, I guess. Go at it. Number two on the list of Hobby Rundown. We only got a couple things today. BGS has kind of weirdly done something under the radar. And I saw this through a account on Instagram called Cord Card Porn. They're a pretty good account. Share a lot of breaking news, a lot of fun stuff. Um, so a little bit of everything when it comes down to it. BGS, if you resubmit a card to BGS, say you're trying to get it re-slabbed at a scratch on the case, you want to get it put into a new holder, um, any reason that a BGS card would come back to BGS, they're being reassessed and regraded without consent of the submitter. So if you resend a BGS card that previously is in a 9.5 holder, just using this grade as an example, it could come back in a lower grade or even without a slab if BGS has discovered that the card is trimmed or fake. BGS will crack the card out and send it back, not in a slab or in a lower grade slab with no compensation and no explanation. It's kind of a crazy thing that BGS, one, isn't standing by what they've done. They're saying that what they did in the past necessarily isn't as well as what they're doing now. And it's also just without consent um, to crack somebody's card out that, that sent it in without wanting that process done. So I think it's something to kind of just consider potentially if you're resending the BGS or even just submitting high-end cards to BGS. Could be something to consider. Um, say you're sending a 90s insert in or an early 2000s Topps Chrome um, that previously had been graded or has previously um, had not been graded and you're sending it to BGS, something to consider if, they, if they're cracking down on things um, or if they're trying to weed out, I guess, more of the 
be trimmed in fake cards or be harder on grading, whatever this means. Just I would look into this if you're considering sending anything back in the BGS, whether it's in raw card form or in a holder. I would just consider some things. Final note, just keep on you guys' radar. Friday, day following the, the releases podcast is a WNBA draft. The season is set to tip off May 17th. They had their first big Prism release last year, and it was actually a pretty big success. It was a really good rip, actually. Really enjoyed it, um, chasing those Sabrina Ionescu cards. Um, it, it's a fun product. I hope there's more products to follow. Um, but just so you guys kind of potentially have on your radar, May 17th, start of the season. April 17th is the draft. All right, let's get into the second segment of the show today. We're going to talk about uh, the two card shows I'm setting up at. The first card show is on Saturday in Canton, Ohio, which is actually south of Akron, which is south of Cleveland, where I live. Um, the Rated Rips Canton Collectors Show, um, which is put on and, and sponsored and kind of organized by Rated Rips on Instagram. Great breaker, um, local Ohio, Northeast Ohio guy. Really good people. Um, it's a really funny story, actually, about how I discovered Rated Rips. Um, and I'll talk about that here. So I was getting ready for the Dallas show. I stumbled upon Rated Rips's page prior to Dallas, I'd say a week or two. Saw they were actually from from Northeast Ohio, and I thought it was really cool. I was like, wow, this is a pretty big account and pretty big breaker um, for me not to have noticed them before on Instagram. And so I started following them. Um, I don't get into many breaks anymore. I was on a very uh, addictive breaking couple weeks for a while uh, last last fall. And I really backed out of breaks and I try not to watch many breaks live because I know that I want to get into them. So I've, I've backed myself out of watching breaks, but I, I was watching his breaks on and off and just getting into them and kind of just seeing how they worked, etc. And then I saw how they were part of the the giant um, trade down in Dallas, how that was part of their their business circle, their 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 interactions there at Dallas came back and connected with them through Instagram about setting up a table at their show um, this weekend and have just really hit it off with, with Mike there at Rated Rips. Super excited about the show on Saturday. For sure going to be circling around next week, giving you guys a rundown. They're expecting 75 tables on on Saturday. Um, it's in a, in a Holiday Inn. So it's, it's supposed to be a really nice show. I've seen some of the collector spotlights, which is a really cool thing they're doing is they're, they're allowing the 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 dealers who are coming to submit answers to questions, submit pictures, and kind of spotlight different dealers who are coming to the show. And they're doing a great job of promoting the show through Instagram and growing a following to it. And I'm super excited about this show, where it potentially could go. Obviously, love having a show in my, in my backyard that's less than an hour drive versus having to maybe hop on a plane and fly to Dallas a couple times a year. Makes it a little bit more convenient. I'm actually setting up at a second show on Sunday. Um, I messaged the uh, the person who runs the show and asked him how many tables. He got back to me, said 90 tables he'll have set up uh, on Sunday at a show in Strongsville, Ohio, which is south, I guess, west of Cleveland, just about 30 minutes. I was actually set up at this show in August or no, October and did really, really well back when I didn't have much inventory, especially slabs. My inventory was uh, much more on the raw side and the wax side. And I saw a lot of uh, mid to low end stuff with this show and it flew off the flew out of my boxes, flew out of my showcases, didn't sell much high end stuff and had one of my better shows of the fall that I set up at. So I'm super excited about that one on Sunday. I'm super excited about meeting people in the area between these two shows, kind of the thrill of doing uh, leaving my house at 6am on Saturday, getting home after lunch, 
repacking it Saturday night and doing it again on Sunday morning. I'm super excited. So kind of want to talk about being on the, I, I've done it both. I've been on both sides of the table. I just want to talk a little bit about being on the behind the table. It kind of adds so much opportunity for the buying, trading, and selling aspect of it. So I'm going to look at it from both directions. If you're carrying, if you're trying to sell cards, you have the advantage being behind the table versus trying to sell across the table to a dealer. That dealer is not going to give you eBay comps. That dealer knows you want to sell. Uh, so the dealer is in the advantage of saying, like, I'm going to offer you 70%. That's the best I can do. And if you really need to make that sale, you'll make the sale. You're going to sell the cards you need to sell. Same thing with kind of the trading aspect. You kind of have the the advantage being on the, the, the um, dealer side. You kind of can set a little bit of the prices. You can kind of decide values a little bit with more strength. Um, and on the selling side, you're opposite of the, the person selling across the table. You're trying to sell it to a buyer coming up. They're coming up to you to buy. Um, you set your prices. You set your things. You can accept offers. Um, but I try to be very fair. I, I don't. We can talk about this more. I have this one of my mistakes. I don't like to nickel and dime people. If I have a, if I have a card listed for a listing price, I have it listed slightly above what I would accept. I like that. Feel like that person got a deal. Um, one thing that I do do is I do price every single card except for my dollar boxes, which are still I guess priced um, in per rows. And I price every single card um, either slightly above what I paid or what I'll accept, slightly above eBay comps if I'm trying to get eBay comps out of it. Um, so let's say I would sell the card for $100. Depending on the card, depending on where it's at, I would put anywhere from 110 to 115, um, knowing that I would accept 100 or even $95 on that card. Um, I do that just kind of knowing I put 10, 15% on top of that sticker price. Um, just as a kind of a way to negotiate, um, a way to create a camaraderie with the person to have a conversation as well as um, get the card sold for, for maximum profit for me or a, a good deal for the buyer. So again, super excited because two big shows in my backyard back-to-back -back weekend, back-to-back -back days on the same weekend. It's gonna be super exciting to meet uh, like-minded people, people who are excited about the hobby, people who are invested um, similar to me in the hobby in Northeast Ohio, potentially create some relationships going forward as I love to do more or buying and selling. So like I said, today's Wednesday. I got the show Saturday and Sunday. I'm probably gonna go check out um, two local card shops tomorrow down closer to Akron. Maybe get a couple more pickups for the weekend. I, I visited out one of one card shop um, out in Strongsville. Check them out on Instagram. They do some great breaks as well and have some great Instagram sales. That's how I connected with them for the first time. Saw an Instagram sale, knew they were in Strongsville. Bought some cards, went in and ended up making some trades and deals with them last week. For those, check out my Instagram. I'm posting those up tomorrow. Hopefully throwing, throwing up some Instagram posts tomorrow about some trades I made. But going to maybe pick up some more inventory, a few more little things, maybe a couple boxes, etc. for the shows. But otherwise, I'm pretty ready to go. Um, I ordered the clear acrylic, uh, I guess, stands for 8.5 by 11 pieces of paper in the fall when I was doing shows. Those worked great to be able to say, what prices dollar boxes were to promote my brand as far as social media, uh, et cetera. I also price, like I said, everything, even in the individually priced box of singles is all priced. Uh, I try to be very transparent with where things are at so there's no confusion. Um, I use a tablecloth to, to bring attention to my table versus other tables. I put felt in the bottom of my boxes to be able to 
make those stand out and pop and the cards in there and, and the cards in there stand out so I try to do stuff that creates an experience for the buyer and they want to come to my table they want to choose my table over other tables so if you are setting up at a show make sure you do create that branding you do create that atmosphere you're you're personable you're respectful you say hi you start a conversation I have packs for kids of, of base cards a couple base rookies thrown together of football basketball baseball and, and WNBA for 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 kids boys and girls who come and want to potentially get a free pack as they go through through some of my boxes and, and cards at my table so uh, I, I'm ex- interested to see how the weekend turns out I'll loop back around with you guys next week on the show and kind of let you know how it goes some of my pluses and minuses of the weekend and uh, for now just Check it out on Instagram if you are in Northeast Ohio area. You might as well check out either or both shows, especially the show Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun. The final big piece of today's episode, the main topic of it, is just what I'm going to call learning from your mistakes. So some of these mistakes I've made, I will never make again, and I've changed the way I do things, or I've made a mistake and will never just do it again because it was a mistake. So... I'm going to be honest with you, actually, some of these, I just read the first one on my page and I've made this mistake time after time after time again, and I'm getting better. I am getting better, um, but it is something that I like to call buying when you're bored or buying because you're bored. You're sitting at night. We all know that feeling. You're scrolling through eBay. You're scrolling through Instagram and you see a deal and you want to buy it. You want to scrolling through Facebook. You message a person. You think it's a great deal. You make the buy. You get the card. You're super excited. And then you open up the card out in the mail. You take a second to realize what you did and you're like, shoot. By the time I paid taxes and shipping or, or by the time I try to go wheel and deal the same card, why did I buy that PSA 9, Baisley, Darius Baisley Instant Impact or whatever card you buy? I just picked a very random card. Um, I've bought select base basketball rookies, PSA 10s. I've bought... Um, baseball singles i bought the most random stuff because i was bored and now i've been uh, some of the cards i bought last summer some of the singles that i have in my boxes that every time i set up at a show or try to sell the price just gradually decreases because i'm just like these are just sitting in my box and i don't appreciate them i just need to sell them and some of those a lot of those were bought when i was bored so just hold the urge if you're bored do your research look at ebay comps go through market movers go through card ladder Uh, scroll through instagram appreciate things i think you can be a part of the hobby without necessarily buying and 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 feel that itch that adrenaline rush of making a purchase in other ways in the hobby i find that through doing research through watching games going and digging through star stock on players uh, just kind of going another way to find that adrenaline rush of buying versus buying and wasting time and money on a card that you you're not really going to see a return on and, and you're just going to sit in your boxes and, and wait till you sell it again your your next time you do a listing on ebay or, or facebook number two i have is buying into the hype my biggest and best example of this was january february when the goat nba market took off michael jordan lebron james kobe bryant um tim duncan you name it just went to the moon i remember chasing a Kobe PSA tops nine uh, PSA tops 138 paper PSA nine I remember chasing that card going around for almost 24 hours trying to find the best deal scouring Facebook scouring eBay seeing what I could do finding a card finding this doing a deal talking to my wife about it talking to my friends about it getting this card and I was so excited for it 
going into Dallas, I was like, this card's going to keep running. It's going to be 3K by the time it gets to Dallas. By the time I got to Dallas, it was worth like 1100 I paid about 1200 all in. Now it's falling all the way down to under 1100 close to 1000 and it kind of just hovering around there. It's a card that I did buy knowing that if it did fall, I was okay holding on to it long term. Um, I'm not as sold on the, the exact card I bought necessarily holding long term as the Paper 9. Um, if somebody offered me 1250 for it, I cleared out of it. I wouldn't mind buying another one to $2,000 Kobe Bryant card to hold long term. Um, so I'm, I was on the fence about that purchase, but I think what you have to, what you have to realize and, and there's a guy on Instagram called slab talked and he has podcasts, YouTube videos and Instagram shorts. And he does a really good job of explaining this in one of his videos a couple times ago is you have to realize when the ship is sailed, you have to realize when a card is run up, that card will eventually come back. I bought that card at 1200 on the way up. That card has fallen all the way back to a thousand. I could have bought it for, for 20% less and gotten that card for a thousand dollars versus 1250 and been sitting potentially with with an extra 200 of profit potentially baked in versus when i bought it just realizing that like if the ship's taken off if it's left port trying to swim after it and catch up to it doesn't work so recognizing that potentially moving on finding the next investment finding the card that hasn't run yet um, finding where the next run is going to be uh, is all great things to potentially look at versus versus chasing into the hype number three Thinking of your, oh, this is a good one. Thinking you're going to win when ripping wax. I have ripped a lot, a lot of wax. I used to rip a lot of wax. This is kind of, I'm going to go with this on breaking as well. Ripping wax and breaking go hand in hand. You think you're going to win because you think the odds are in your favor. They're not. Ripping wax is extremely difficult to win, is extremely difficult to pull something that you want, and... It is one of the biggest, riskiest gambles you can do in this hobby. I guess breaking kind of alleviates some of the costs, so it's not as risky, as long as you keep it within reason. Um, but go into wax ripping, ripping wax as a fun part of what you do. If you want to rip, put a little bit aside to rip, a little bit of your, your budget, put it to rip, and go into it knowing you're probably going to lose that money back to zero. Or if you put $1,000 into wax, no, you might get $200 out and that's it. You have to think about, let's look at 2020, 2021 prism. To pull a lamello, right now a lamello is roughly, I would say $200 raw. Um, they graded first PSA 10 sold for 1800. I guess I could have put that in the hobby rundown. Sold for 1800 a couple days ago. And the same guy I saw had five of them. Um, so I'll be interested to see where those go. Um, but he kind of currently controls the market as potentially being the first five off the line. You rip, it's a $2,000 box. You rip, you pull, let's say two lamellos, $400. Do you grade those? Let's say you grade those and after grading fees, um, you get from, I'll just use SGC. You can grade it through a group subber, $35 a card. There's 70, you're at 2,070. You sell them for let's say five hundred a piece. You're at a thousand dollars. That's if they hit nine fives in SGC. Let's just say you get five hundred for them, which I think is a lot. Um, you're still looking for a thousand dollars worth of cards out of that box. You've probably got to hit a colored LeBron. You've got to hit a colored Anthony Edwards. You've got to hit a color Halliburton. Um, Halliburton raws are are not expensive. Halliburton prism rookie. I mean. 
Halliburton bases are selling for oof. That's a silver for ninety dollars. Um, a base one's a buy, new listing best offer thirty five dollars. Um, so I mean, you're really struggling. Uh, Anthony Edwards Prism rookies are not doing that much either. Um, I would just be cautious ripping wax. Be cautious what you do. This has a 90, 90 to one hundred potentially for for Anthony Edwards. Um, oh, that card's for oh, it's bids. Um, let's say $75 for Anthony Edwards. So you got to pull $1,000 worth of singles. It's just not going to happen. Especially with PSA and the way that it works right now. Just be careful with ripping wax. Be careful with, with what you're doing. Um, the quality of Panini's dropped drastically over the last couple years. Um, don't get caught up in the hype. Allocate your ripping money. Um, allocate where you want to put that money. And if you want to rip wax, have at it. Have fun knowing it potentially go to zero. Number four, uh, making mistakes through grading. Um, the first mistake under grading I have is sending some cards bulk that you should have sent at a higher service level or sending some cards express that you should have sent at a lower service level. Uh, I sent some a base John Morant optic, um, just a John Morant optic base I sent uh, five weeks ago, six weeks ago through Nash cards. I sent it express, it's still sitting there. Not sure why I sent that card express. I sent a lot of Joe Burrow mosaic color. I sent all of that 20 day. I have no idea when I'm gonna get that back. I hope I get it back by by the, the fall, by the middle of season, and hopefully he's playing well. But I kind of wasted a lot of money just sending all of that stuff um, 20 day. Should have just expressed all of the Joe Burrow stuff, expressed all the T Higgins and, and Tua and Jalen Hurts stuff I sent in and got that back thinking I thought 20 day would come back before season. I have 20-day subs that I dropped off with, with Ryan at Card Collector 2 in Columbus. I dropped those off in September and October and I have not received those back from them. So the second mistake that you can make or that I've made is not reviewing your cards properly, not properly looking over your cards, not wiping them down with a microfiber cloth. I think it'd be a really cool video for me to make once PSA opens back up or even now, I guess, if you're submitting through SGC or CSG, I'll probably do a card prep grading if I do start submitting again at all. Um, but right now, I've kind of held off on grading, waiting on my cards to get back from grading, um, and really just playing the uh, buy and sell of graded cards game right now. The final mistake is choosing the wrong group submitter um, that doesn't fit what you're looking for. So a group submitter is somebody who you would send your cards to. They would log all of your cards into PSA, SGC, CSG, etc., wherever you're sending them. They would submit the cards to the grading service. The grading service would return the cards to the group submitter, and then the group submitter would send you the graded cards. A couple things that you need to look for in a group submitter. Do they review cards? Are you looking for someone to review cards? Uh, how well do they do in gym rates? Maybe maybe finding that, as a lot of people have that on their website. What is their review process? Do they microfiber wipe? Do they just look at it, etc.? Do they have a tracker? Uh, do they update through a website, through a Google Docs, through an Instagram message, through an email? Um, finding out how you want to be updated, if you want to be updated, uh, I will say that's the one thing that I kind of, uh, I guess, dislike about Card Collector 2 submission process is there's no tracker. With Nash cards, I get a text message whenever my cards are, are received by Nash, when they are sent to PSA, when they are received by PSA, and when they are sent into grading by PSA, when the grades pop, when they're ready to be shipped, and when they're shipped. All of those become text messages. There's no messaging them, asking them where my cards are at. It's all done viewed on on online the final thing that you have to look at is whether you want to pay up front or pay at the end 
Um, some group submitters will collect payment when the cards are, when the grades are popped. Um, some group submitters select payment when you, or require payment when you submit them to them. Some require it or make you pay extra if you wait uh, versus to the end versus the beginning. Just look at what, what you want to do if you want to put that cost at the end. Um, Ryan and Columbus creates your money at the front. So I'm sitting with, with two pretty large 20-day submissions. The money has been paid in September and October. Haven't seen that money. But these Nash cards I have will be paid at the end when, they're, um, when the grades pop. Number five, we're halfway through the mistakes thing. This is kind of fun. I like this. Um, buying collegiate uh, cards. I got into the hobby and some of the first major purchases I made was um, into John ja Morant um, draft picks, PSA 9s. thought they were a great deal. I said, wow, these are, these are cheap. Um, I'll buy these. They're going to go up. I even bought pink ones and all the variations and they didn't go anything but sideways. They didn't go up. They didn't go down. They were just boring investments to have. Ended up selling those for probably a little bit of loss. And my other mistake, which I guess it wasn't really a huge mistake, um, but I learned from it is I bought a bus and bunch of Justin Herbert Optic College. I bought all of the the, the parallels of the, the Optic um, with Justin Herbert in his Oregon jersey. And it actually kind of benefited me. Um, I didn't. I did sell some for a loss, realizing that hey, these aren't really going to go up in value. Um, twenty twenty um, products going to start dropping. But what happened was when he had his really good weeks one and week two, the optic collegiate were really the best cards at the time. One of the best cards you could get. Um, so I actually ended up selling those for a pretty good profit, which covered all of my losses on the other cards uh, of Justin Herbert in his Oregon jersey. But I wouldn't do it again. It worked out once because of COVID. Um, I wouldn't go buying Zion um, jerseys in Duke. I wouldn't go buying uh, Joe Burrow LSU stuff. Uh, I would not go buying uh, Anthony Edwards Georgia stuff. It's just it's just not worth it. The 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 fan base is not the same that collects it. You know, people don't look for um, collegiate jerseys of of players many times at at on Facebook or even at shows. It's just not a popular, uh, well sought after variation number six this kind of goes into the card shows not being prepared at a show if you go back a couple episodes i did talk about preparing for a show ways that i prepare for a show as a buyer going when i was going to dallas um just know what you're looking for know what you want to buy sell trade uh if you're looking for particular cards if you're looking for let's just say zion psa 10s know roughly the price you're willing to pay cash trade um, if you're looking to, to sell trade items, know kind of what do you think they're worth um, and be willing to be flexible with it. Know whether you're going to go through dollar boxes. Know if you're going to only look at slabs, if you're going to look at certain players. Um, I was very, very prepared at the Dallas show and had a very enjoyable experience and came out of there with some really, really good buys. And the buys that I made off of the cusp, um, mainly the two BGS slabs I bought, really are were my two biggest mistakes everything else that i bought that was very very well sought out well researched well targeted um, i found the right cards from the right people for the right price and put in effort are all looking really nice for my for my turnaround going forward um the the two cards that i kind of rushed into or bought on a limb or or got bored walking on the show saw a beautiful card in a bgs slab thought i could make it happen are my two worst buys so just be prepared um research know what you're looking for be targeted when you go into a show number seven we got 10 of these so we're almost done here a lot of people say this 
Um, and I think you just have to really stick to this is kind of the personal side of it. Um, I guess do stick to your budget, set a budget, but beyond the number of setting a budget, I'm going to talk to you guys about, um, two mistakes that I've made. One is keeping a budget. So let's say your budget is a thousand dollars. Take that thousand dollars out of your personal account, create a separate card account, create a separate checking account. Um, I think Chase is, is pretty cheap to have account. There's online accounts that are they're relatively cheaper. I like having Chase because I can easily get cash in and out at the bank near driving. Put it in the PayPal. Uh, it's not necessarily a great place. PayPal does have a chance of freezing it and, and you got being able to get to those funds. But just some way, somehow, take the $1,000 out of your personal account so you're not drawing from your personal card. Draw from a card account. Draw from a card from a PayPal. Draw from a Venmo, a, a whatever it is where you're keeping that money for cards and you're keeping your personal life and personal life. My other thing kind of breaks it down even more and I talked about this with the wax and the breaking. Kind of create a pie chart where you want to diversify, um, putting into the goats, putting into different people. Uh, don't put everybody into one. Um, I had this conversation with my dad um, the other day. He's actually like, what you do really makes you nervous. Or it makes me nervous. Because you know, I was talking to him about the uh, Fernando Tatis injury and how it affects baseball market. And I said, well, that's why I invest a lot in different players. I'm invested a lot in Zion Williamson, but I'm also invested in John Morant, into Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, into Kelvin Johnson. I diversify amongst high profile, high, higher um, reward people, low risk people, low injury people, football, baseball, a little bit now, um, basketball. Just diversify yourself out, create a plan. Um, you want to put 60% into basketball, 40% in everything else, et cetera. Uh, I would just create kind of that, just like you do in your retirement portfolio, create a portfolio, create a, create an allocation to each. Mm-hmm. Number eight, cracking. This isn't necessarily a mistake, but it could be a mistake or a risk if you don't do it the right way. Um, a lot of people are talking about cracking the BG, cracking BGS slabs, sending them a PSA. It's kind of become a, a phenomenon in the hobby recently. You find BGS 9.5 cards, you hoping they cross to the 10s, you send them in. Um, and you see what happens. Um, I actually did it with a with a Dame Lillard Prism rookie card when they were selling when BGS cards you could get them for closer to 500. Now they're closer to a thousand, um, which I wish I just would have kept the BGS 95. Um, but I I've cracked that. That's waiting at PSA on a grade. That's my next card to pop probably for a grade. Um, but it can drastically backfire. Realizing that this is a big risk. Uh, realizing that that if it comes back a nine or an eight or even a seven or even a not being able to grade ungradable. Um, it can be a financial loss straight out the gate. Um, so just be prepared, knowing what you're grading. Um, and the ways to kind of prepare yourself is getting cards that if they come back in a nine, you're at least hopefully breaking even or, or you're even still making money in nine. Um, that's one way to look at it. The other way is just to properly examine that card. Uh, find somebody with good pictures, buy the card in person, um, ask the car- person selling the card, get the card, really examine it before you crack it out, before you send it in. Um, properly looking over the corners, the edges. Um, don't just send off an off-centered card and just hope it's going to hit a 10 or a 9. If it's off-centered, it's probably not worth your time. Find another BGS 9.5, crack that one and send it in, or don't crack that card at all if you can't find a good crossover match. Number nine, this goes, I've talked, I touched on this earlier, trying to squeeze every ounce of dollar profit when you're trying to sell a card and, and, and you're still actually making money. So I use this as an example. I I used to try to do this and now I'm, I'm a lot better at this and, and I it makes the selling process more enjoyable. For example, I'm gonna say, you have a $300 card, what it's worth now. 
you have paid $180 for the card. You have somebody on Facebook who offers you $290, but you feel like your $300 price is extremely fair and that's what you wanted to get for the card. You kind of have a little back and forth, you get to have a conversation with the person and eventually you sell them the card for $290. What this does is it locks in your profit still. It gives them um, a chance to potentially lock in a little bit of room in their card. They're, they get an extra $10 out of it. And in the end, that $10 is a uh, unearned profit for you. You never had a card you never had $300 and you lost $10. You only had $180 of negative negative value and you sold it for $290. You still are clearing $110 versus $120. I know it can make a difference at 10%, but that person's going to potentially come back to you. You're going to have you're going to feel good about that transaction with that person. That person's going to feel good about the transaction with you. And now you can potentially make another transaction with them and be like, "Hey, last time I sold you that $300 card for $290, take my $500 uh, offer I'm making on your card or, or take this card for 500 that I'm trying to sell for versus selling it for 475. Uh, so there is a there is a little bit of a, a give and take with that. Be fair to people, um, be respectful and, and kind of enjoy the selling process a lot more this way. Final number, number 10. And I'm super excited about sharing this one with you guys because I've had this struggle before. Forgetting how to have fun in this hobby. Sometimes you get caught up in the pluses and the minuses, the dollar signs, the PSA slabs, uh, the Instagram profile, the follower count. Have fun with this. Enjoy what you're doing. This is something that we're extremely lucky to be able to do and have as side hustles and full-time businesses and hobbies. This is something that's fun. We all love sports and we all love sports cards. Admire the art, keep up on the players, follow them on Instagram, create a relationship with your, with your hobby and with you and just enjoy every moment you're doing this. Don't get caught up in the, I sold a card too soon. Oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I can never survive. Or I sold a card for a loss. Just take your losses, take your mistakes, learn from them like I'm explaining to you guys and move on to your positivities, move on to your 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 profits, your fun plays, uh, your, your grail cards you get to buy now and enjoy what you're doing, relish in this hobby and who knows where you'll go with it and where you'll be in a year, two years, five years, 10 years um, with this if you continue to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you're gonna be burnt out. You're gonna be out the back door and uh, the hobby's gonna be waving goodbye when we're all sitting in five, 10 years on our uh, PSA 10 Zions that are worth uh, 6K. I'm just kidding, guys. That's it for mistakes. Uh, if you guys have any other ones, please drop them below. Send me a DM on Instagram. Uh, I'm gonna throw these up on, on an Instagram video. Comment on the Instagram. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about uh, your mistakes, what you guys have learned in the hobby, things you've done, things you don't do anymore, things you do different now. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of people avoid or don't talk about um, because they think you'll get a bad image. These are all mistakes pretty much I've made. Um, I think I've made every one of these mistakes looking back on them uh, to some extent. So I'm being very open with you guys and want to be very open with you guys as we go through this. So. Final segment of the show, the hobby calendar. Uh, on today, Wednesday, we had two big basketball releases, or two big releases, not basketball. We had Panini Origins Basketball 2020-2021. That uh, box is a seven-card pack. Each contained two hits, two parallels. I love Origins football. Not as big on Origins basketball. Um, I think the low-numbered boxes, I enjoy ripping for football more than basketball. Um, but... This could be a lot of fun. There's booklets, 
There's uh, on-card signatures. And currently on eBay, it's selling for just under um, $450. $400 you can get it for right here. Origins Basketball Sealed. $400, buy it now. Um, if you do buy wax, go support your local card shops. If you have one near you, it, it's, it just makes it a lot better. Find a local card shop online to buy it from. Yeah, you may pay $425 for that box, but it's a lot of fun. The other product that released today on Wednesday, uh, 2020 Panini National Treasures Football. So we got the uh, premier product across all sports and national treasures, three memorabilia cards, a base or insert, and a base or insert parallel. Uh, the first off the line will have the Stars and Stripes parallels, which are ex exclusive to those. Um, Ricky Patch Autos, hand sign, hard signed signatures, and cards numbered to 99 or less. These are selling for just under um, 4,000, um, right at 4,000. So. It's a big, it's a big boy box. It's it's the go-to um, high-end product currently. Um, but we finally have the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts, the Tua's, the, the Jalen Hurts, the the Justin Jefferson National Treasures autos that everybody's been looking for. Those have released. Um, on Thursday, Friday, on Friday we have the Obsidian Soccer, um, the Jet Black look returns to the pitch with Panini. Featuring players from more than 45 teams from around the world, including Messi, Mbappe, and more. Look for four autos, memorabilia cards, plus a base card, base parallel, and one insert or insert parallel per box on average. The rare Color Blast inserts will run the big ticket pulls. Color Blasts are usually a case hit, um, which means there's a full case. One box will usually have a um, Color Blast in it. Four to $500 per box pre-sale right now, roughly. Um obsidian soccer cool cards i really do think obsidian is a cool product um i don't know how it will hold value in soccer we've got now a delayed product who is now releasing um next week before we will record or right as we're recording next week um is the f1 chrome the formula one tops chrome 2020 product 18 packs per box four cards per pack autographs will be seated approximately one in every box Tops is promising 10 parallels or short prints in every box. The base set will be comp pretty comprehensive with 200 cards in all. I am interested in this because there are only 20 drivers in Formula 1 every year. And there's not a lot of turnover of new drivers in Formula 1. So I'm interested to see what the uh, checklist will be. Um, maybe I can find it here. Oh, here we go. Checklist. Um, the inserts. Whoa, the inserts look really cool. Uh, autographs number there is no like player checklist or driver checklist currently um the base set will contain 200 cards since the roster drivers is a lot smaller you'll find in the mlb the checklist will be a mix of f1 and f2 series drivers crew members team principals essentially the team's bosses or general managers cars and other subjects okay so that's what i was wondering so you could pull a card you could pull a team manager you could pull a crew member you could pull an f2 driver so that's a really watered down product. Um, I would go towards the singles of this product. I'd probably be snagging some. I really enjoy um, Formula One, uh, the Netflix series, shout out Netflix series. I would watch that, check it out. But I'd be pulling the singles out of this. Um, I would not be buying the box. That's way too many cards, way too many chances to pull just uh, useless, pointless cards. So that sums up episode six of the podcast today. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Like I said, support has been great. 
learn from these mistakes, learn from what I bring you guys. Uh, hopefully you guys don't make the same ones. If you haven't already, hit the hit the thumbs up button. If you enjoyed this, watching this on YouTube, leave us a five stars. Leave me a five stars on, on Apple Podcasts. I really enjoy uh, seeing your guys' feedback there. And if you haven't already, head on over to Instagram. Get us on our way to 1,000. We've just crossed over 500. Get us on our way to 1,000. Uh, Medalist underscore sports cards over on Instagram. Hit me up with a DM. Uh, leave a comment below. Really appreciate you guys listening to this. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. Wish me luck at the shows. See you guys back here on Thursday. Have a good weekend.